Welcome to Fusion Talk with Anuk and Steve. Hello and welcome into the third episode of Fusion Talk. Third episode. Did you ever think we'd get to three? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, it is interesting. Marina and I, we've, we've done a lot of these and we keep saying, did you ever think we'd get to 20? Did you ever think we'd get to 100? The answer is always yes, but that's all part of the fun. So we are somewhere interesting. Yes, we are at Dots in Antwerp. Dots. It's a co-working location. Yeah. It's a very cool co-working yeah. location. Uh, and at least for the next three or four months, we're going to be recording our podcast from here. Yep. And um, yeah, we're kind of in, I guess, we're underground. Um, actually, it was an old fabric. so An old factory. Factory, yeah, yes. Yeah, that's fine. So that's all right. You keep correcting my Dutch <laughs> and I'll keep correcting your English. Between <laughs> us, we'll work it out. Yes, we will. Um, it's an old factory and they have made it to a co-working space in 2014. So it's very nice done and it's happy to be here. Yeah, it's very cool. We got some really cool warnings though. D make sure that you take both cars out because <laughs> once after a certain <laughs> amount of time you can't get back in again and, and all that kind of stuff. But I think we're, uh, we're going to become fully paid up members of this place and uh, use it as our base for the podcast. It's nice and central. Yes. Even if I did have to drive through snow and <laughs> blizzards to get here tonight. So. I didn't see snow when I was driving here. I did. A lot of it. <laughs> Trust me. Brussels at the moment, it's been snowing all afternoon. And uh, and, I've j and my kids are all grow building snowmen. Even <laughs> though they're very big kids, they're all out in the garden building okay. snowmen. So, so that's cool. So, yes. Yeah, so, welcome to Dots. Yes. Welcome. Cool. So you uh, listened to the second podcast? I did. Are you used to hearing your voice yet? No. <laughs> <laughs> but you think it was better than the first? Yes, it's definitely going to be better and it will keep growing and growing and growing. So yeah, it will be fine. Are you enjoying it? Yes. Good. I'm glad because this is actually quite good fun. And feedback we've had from a few people is that it's good content <laughs> and content that nobody else has thought of before. I loved Kevin's feedback. <laughs> Oh, what was Kevin's feedback? <laughs> um, his new podcast to listen in the store. Ah, yes. His store is quite <laughs> funny. Good. Well, we need to keep making him laugh then, so he embarrasses himself in the uh, in the, the cereals uh, alley. Uh, aisle. Aisle, that's the word. Can't I? I don't even know English myself. All right. So, we said at the end of the lad podcast where we, uh, again, we were talking about getting requirements that... Um, uh, we wanted to talk about those times when you needed to do live demonstrations. Yes, live demonstrations of live programming in front of a bunch of people. Or just a simple list because they don't understand what a list is. Yes. Um, I, and, and we had a, a, a live episode of this last week. We had a meeting with a client and um, you were brilliant, by the way. Thank um, you. Except when you said, oh, no, I can build that search page. And then you started building it. And <laughs> then it didn't quite work the way we wanted to. But that wasn't a bad thing. No, because then you see what's able to work and what not. And uh, showing those things that they require, but it's not able to work. It's most of the time more efficient for the people themselves. No, no, I agree. And we, we did a little bit of it. We were just recording some voiceover work earlier. 
Uh, and we know it's not finished yet, but it was useful being able to see it and, and manage it and and, uh, and knowing that we can tweak it later. Yes. So you do have to put your um, faith in the demo gods when you do this. <laughs> I know. I do some kind of presentation with live demos and they fail most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, <coughs> I was uh, talking to one of my guys um, at uh, the security guy who was trying to show um, how you can hack tokens from people's MFA. So you say, no, this is easy. This is why it's dangerous. And this is why we need to do this security. And this is why that. And, um, and then he said, look, I'm going to show you. And so he got somebody to log in with their you know, MFA and log on to the browser. And then he said, you see, I've now got the token. No, <laughs> it wasn't there. <laughs> he couldn't get the token. It failed miserably. Uh, and of course, it's because he'd secured the network quite well. <laughs> That's so, yes, a good thing. <laughs> it worked. Well done, get a pay rise. <laughs> but yes, so that was quite good. So anyway, so what we're going to try to do today is to to talk about doing live demonstrations. Uh, we've got a, diff a bunch of different examples of, of what we've done. Um, and we're going to try and identify some of the pitfalls, yes. some of the things that can go wrong, and some of the things that you should consider to you know, make it as efficient and effective as possible. Yes. You're just going to say yes. I knew you were <laughs> just going to say yes. I was looking at her face. She's going to go, <laughs> yes. So, so that's the objective. All right. So why are we going to do this, first of all? Why would you want to do a live demonstration and risk looking like an idiot because it has failed in some way? To inform the people that are with you in the meeting, but also to let them learn something new. They maybe are interesting and see how things work and how you do those things. But okay. just to inform what is possible, what isn't possible. And if there are small things you can do, why not do it immediately instead of risking that you lose them out of your head and you need to think about, hey, have I done that? Yes or no? So in some ways, it's a form of note-taking or fixing the direction you're going to go in when you get back and you know what they liked and what they didn't like. Yes, for me it is. <laughs> and I think that, that the old sort of agile fail-first process, you know, uh, learn from your mistakes is actually very active here. Um, yeah, and um, when you start doing those live demos of live programming, you see things and other people in the room see other things and then you see, hey, maybe we need to do that and then, it's always getting better and better. Um, yes. It's like the rubber duck. The what? The rubber duck. <laughs> okay, why it's is it like the rubber duck? <laughs> it's a term in programming. So when you are stuck with your programming, you ask colleagues to watch with you. They see you doing things and they then start talking to you. From, hey, you missed that. And why is it called the rubber duck? I don't know why it's called rubber oh, duck. Oh, come on. You <laughs> no, can't <I've> say <laughs> something and then not know. I don't know why it's called the rubber duck. It's something I learned in school. So <laughs> So is it, do they say, hey, that's a rubber duck or do a rubber duck? That's or a rubber duck. That's a rubber duck. Okay, so it's not really a duck. No. <laughs> so you're close but no cigar. Yes. <laughs> All right, I like that. A rubber duck. <laughs> I'm going to throw that at my guys when I get back in the office in the next few days and see whether anybody else went to the same school that you did. 
Okay, so this is what we had written down in our notes. The easiest way to ensure understanding is to demonstrate it. Yes. And I think that's true. I mean, I'm not a developer, as anybody that knows me well can understand. Uh, I do understand what code can do. So very often I'll stand in front of a client and say, yes, we can get a workflow to do that. Yeah, but just think about the search we just talked about last week. Yep. It was like, yes, we can do that. Yeah, we can do a lot, but not everything you ask. Just show it and uh, make an example and let them see what is possible. So that that's actually what you try to achieve with all of this. No, and I think last week was a great example because I was sitting there trying to tell them what they could get from this and how we could do something. And I even said, I think we can do that. And uh, we should be able to do that. But if we do that, then that won't work. Basically, they were looking to see whether the refinement bar could be made yep. to disappear because it was taking up too much space. And whilst I was talking in those four sentences, this little voice from the end of the table said, look at the screen, I've done it. It's <laughs> done. And okay, you smart ass. Um, <laughs> but it was really very clever in that... Um, you uh, had basically found a setting that you knew about that I was unaware of, and you then uh, basically went on to demonstrate how it didn't work. And yes, the first time it ruined my page, and I need to go back <laughs> to a previous <laughs> version, but those things happen. <laughs> so is, is persistence <laughs> one of those sort of skills or traits that you need to have when you go down this game? Yes. <laughs> So if it doesn't work the first time, try, try again. again. Trial and, and error. And try again and maybe try again and try again. Yeah. And then if the customer falls asleep, you've tried too many times. <laughs> no, but um, if the option is there and you know it's there, you can try it again because you know it will work. So why didn't it work the first time? I don't know. But the second time after going back to a previous version of the page, it worked. Yeah. Like it's supposed to be. But we know this kind of stuff works. And in, yeah. in some respects, there's no difference doing that than if you were doing it at home at your desk. You try it. Well, oh, fuck, what happened there? Why did that not work? And then you work out and go back. But let's talk about the audience, the people that are watching you at this time. Now, we knew that client. I've known that client a long time. Um, and uh, you've know you've had a couple of meetings with them as well, uh, and I know that he's into the technology. Uh, in fact, uh, I, I had some workflows built for him a while ago, and he admitted that he'd tweaked them and changed them. And I went test it, test it, let's check it. But but he he had done so. He does know the stuff, but there are certain things that he it's not his daily job, so he doesn't know those capabilities. Like for example, that what I also learned as well that you, know, you can make the refinement panel uh, on the left-hand side, which basically mm -hmm. means it doesn't take up page space. So he doesn't know those kinds of things. Uh, he was impressed. Yes, um, and with that kind of person, you can do it live yes. in a demonstration. If you have only uh, people that are not into technology and know what it needs to be done, it's sometimes be boring for them to see how it has been done. Yeah. So it's... You need to see who you have in your room to do it. Yeah, and we'll talk about that a little bit uh, later on in some of the bigger kind of demos and stuff. But I think it's a bit like presenting. You know, you stand in front of 25, 30, 40, 500 people and you're talking and you know whether they're going to sleep or whether they're focused or whether they're in. So while you're doing these demos, you kind of need to look and watch. And if there's two of you in the room, work out who's doing what. Hey, look, I will do the demo. You just keep an eye on people. 
if they've got questions in their faces, ask them if everything's okay or do they have questions or whatever, uh, and work it as a, as a partnership. So that's kind of where we're going with this, which is cool. Um, so um, yes, easiest way is to demonstrate it, help them understand it, um, get real-time confirmation that this is correct. Yes, and also it's a better way for a developer to understand if the he understands the question correctly. Yes. Because there is a difference in language and sometimes there is some miscommunication. Oh, we were just we were talking about what we're going to talk about today. Yep. And I'd made a bunch of notes <laughs> and, and I'd shared them with you and y you know you had five days to read them and you did them three minutes ago and that's <laughs> fine. <laughs> no, I'm joking, I'm joking, joking. Um, but you had in your mind a way that this podcast would go and we still had to have that conversation so that we were both on the same page. Yes. And that's how customers work too. They go, hey, no, I mean, the, cl the client we're dealing with today, he has every single time, this is how I expect it to happen. This is my vision based upon the words that Steve told me. Yeah, I know, I oversell something maybe. But no, no, no. But So he actually gets to see it for real time. If I compare that to Agile, so if we talk about <coughs> waterfall projects and you know we're going to spend three months building this application and then we build it and we show it to the client and then they go, it's not what I wanted. So that's cool. So then we went Agile where we do it in small iterations. So now at least we can build something in two weeks and then we can test it. And if it's wrong, we haven't lost so much time. But for certain things like this, you can do it instantly and get a great turnaround and approval. Yes, and that's some, most of the time you would like that. All of the time you would like it. No, not always. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you just need to have your own focus to work on what they request and to do all of the things before you go in that meeting. And in that meeting you can then show what you have and do some smaller changes in real life. Yes. But sometimes you just need to be prepared for it. Yes. And you have to prepare to fail. And you have to be prepared to push. You really need to know the customer as well. So they will push you into doing this and you have to prepare to go, you know, I don't know. And need to learn how you need to be ready for failing. Yes. <laughs> Chill out and not worry about it. So, so, so anyway, so that's the value of it. But it's not just about strong, complicated workflows or applications. It's, it's some of the simplest things, especially in SharePoint terms, that this works for, you know? Yes. One of the things where I'm always doing it when you go to SharePoint is when we are talking about intranets. Intranets, the yes. proverbial intranet. Yeah. Then uh, most of the customer, they don't know about how it will look. They have something in their mind, how yep. the design need to look. And then you go to SharePoint and you do just a live demo. You put in the components without any major data, just one or two lines or something. And then they see on the page on s on the screen how it is looking and then they are whoa this this is not what we want we want a different but that's a re really great example of live programming no i agree entirely especially as the night before they went and looked at that ten thousand pound intranet that was built by the company next door and they go i want this mm. yeah and i've only got 800 euros to spend but sharepoint's magic so please build this <laughs> and you go mm, reality check Reality yeah. check. So, yeah, intranets are good. I also think lists, simple, everyday lists, you know. Um, uh, I need to store um, this information around uh, awards given for our products 
Okay, that's fine. No, I, look, I can do it in a spreadsheet. No, 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 okay. Let's just have a think. What's going to happen to that data? Well, I need to have that data accessible by five marketing teams around the world so that they can also put their awards in as well. Okay, so explain to them what a spreadsheet's going to do, where you're going to email it around anything else. And you say, but we can make a list and they will go, what's a list? Yep. So simple things like that. Uh, and then you can say, why don't you try it? Here it is, look, give them permission to it. Say, look, you know, give me the email address of these people that also got to fill it out and let's get them to fill out and then tell me what's missing. And it also means that the changes that you can do next are based upon a baseline. So, hey, I, I created five columns, uh, the country, the award title, a description of what it was, whether it was collected uh, manually, when it, what date it's going to be done. And so then they go and fill out five fields and then they go, actually, we could really do with having the managing director that has to go and collect the award. Can we have his name here and the date that it's going to be collected and whether or not we need to do press things from it. And so, you know, being able to involve them in the building of something also means that they take ownership of it quicker. Yeah, and most of the time it's just they don't know about those features or they don't know about it exist. They are used to Excel yes, and they don't know the other things. And then it's impressive for them to see how fast you can create such a list and how fast everything can be done. And if you are putting in your managing director in there with a personal field, then his name is always correct because it's linked to your Active Directory, and then they are more impressed most of the time. <laughs> That's true. And I think also you can then build from that. So next time I meet them and you say, hey, how's your list going? And they go, no, it's doing all right. Look, and you've got these names and people. Uh, and then you can say, okay, but you know, how we can add some priority. We can do some conditional formatting. Um, uh, we can make it so that anything where your chairman needs to apply goes red. You know, uh, we can put them in there. Those that you win are green. Those that you lose are all dark and brown and horrible. And we can hide them. We can take them out of the yep. list. So you're educating and you're showing and you're developing and you're doing it in relatively easy amount of time. Yes. Today I received questions like, we have a list and it's very good, but we don't want everyone to fill it in. How can we change it? And that's something you can show real life, how they can change permissions for a list. Yes. I don't know whether I'd trust them. Walk away <laughs> knowing it's going to get screwed up in hours. But I suppose that's one way of continually getting paid to Is come back It were things. all IT people in there that are getting to learn uh, all it's of true. those technologies. So but you can show it out to them in real life. Yeah, you're right. It's about training them as well as you, you go along. So... So that's good. So those those are the sort of um, aspects there. So there's some things that can and can't go wrong, of course, um, because you also have to get the balance right. Yes. It's not a training session. So explain to them, guys, this is a demo. All right. It might not look the same if you do it on your tenant. It might not look the same if you do it on a different kind of site. You know, you need to be able to say that don't, this is not training. I'm not teaching you how to do something. I'm demonstrating the capabilities of, of what we could do. Yeah, and um, you say you, it could be different on your tenant, but if you want to go in this live demoing, live presenting, most of the time I used a demo environment that they are not able to access to. And then they need to check out the things we've 
been told to reproduce on their own. Yeah, I think I've done it both ways. Uh, I remember um, going back a few years, uh, it was a list that was uh, required um, and it was quite a big list. It was a, a set of linked lists, in fact, uh, with lookup tables and stuff. But uh, over about four or five weeks, they th were basically there all the time. So it was done on the live environment. And it effectively meant that after that period of time, when you can say, like, now, does it have all the functionality you need? Yes, great. Go play with it. And then come back and give me a list of improvements that you need, you know, whether it's the way the form is laid out, whether some of the views you need, whether it needs to be on a page, whether blah, blah, blah. It basically means that you're carrying these people with you, and it, it works very, very well indeed. Yes, but until now, we are only talking about small projects. We are. What if you are having a really big project that needs a lot of effort to do? Do you want to do that or do you want to go in live showing those things to them? Or do you really want to be prepared in front of it and say, okay, this is what you want. We have prepared something. We are showing you now a demo. And we can change a little bit of the f a little few things. Yeah, I think that that's that you kind of gave you kind of answered your own question, really, didn't you? Um, which is fine. Um, I think that, that you're always going to have a baseline way of creating something. So if it's a big project, there's no way that they're going to be looking over your shoulder all the time. You're going to need to do it in Visual whatever Studio or whatever tools you use nowadays. How many years am I going back with Visual Studio? You're laughing at me. <laughs> Visual Studio is still around, but nowadays it's more Visual Studio code that is being used. That's cool. All right, it doesn't really matter. But you, you get what I mean. You're going to actually sit there and then upload it, yeah. and then you're going to test it. So you don't want them watching you doing that kind of stuff. So you've got to make your choice. Um, so I think that, in my mind, you go with an agile approach. So you say, hey, look, this is what we're going to do. This is You're going to have some refinement sessions, so we're going to do some brainstorming, as we talked about last time. We're going to create some user stories and some user story maps, all right, which are awesome. I've been looking them up ever since we mentioned it on the last podcast. That was great. Very good, so I can expect some of them. Uh, yes, possibly <laughs> you can. I'll get some of my team to create them for you. <laughs> um, uh, but, but those are the kinds of things that you will then take away, and then you can come back and do the demos, of course, to, as a part of a review session. But at that time, if their feedback is, hey, no, we need this to happen or that to happen or the other thing to happen as the dishwasher just started because mm. as I said we're in dots we're in a co-working place so we're actually just on the edge of the kitchen here and I can hear a dishwasher starting if you can't hear it then I'll I'm cut this bit I'm not sure out. it's the dishwasher but uh, it's something it's something anyway yeah. so I don't think you can hear the noise but uh, we can hear so we're just conscious of the quality but I think you can then sit there and potentially decide whether or not you do a demo. You know, guys, you go talk about this, give me five minutes, and then I'll knock something together. Because it's better to do that than walk away with the assumption in your mind where you think you know what they want and what they actually want. Because it's all about being efficient. It is. And it's actually a subject that we are not dealing with very well. What, we, you and me and our no, jobs no. or people generally? Developers. People and developers in generally. So most of the time developers think about, oh, I developed on my machine, I put it on a test environment and let the users test. 
but that's not how it works. You need to explain a little bit to the users about, all right, this is a small demo, this is what you are able to see, what you can do, and here you can test things. And if you do that with the users or with a little set of users, you have already the first feedback and you can change a little bit of the things before getting an agreement to get in production. We do, don't do that often enough. Yeah, yeah. So have you ever um, had a scenario where you go to a requirement session and you list down what they need, you go away and you build it and you get in there and they go, what's this? Yes. This is not what we asked for. Yes. I think every developer has once been there. Once and more than once as well. So fail first, yep. learn later. Uh, it has to happen, so I understand that. And this is one way of getting around that a little bit and trying to get them comfortable with uh, what they want. So, you know, uh, we got a statement on there said, you know, obtain agreement for what they see. So as you're demonstrating it or changing it, then you can, uh, like our search page the other day, yep. you know, we had it working on a page, so now we know what they want on the rest of the pages. So we have that set up and done. Yeah, and if they see it working, they will agree faster than they have things on a, a paper. Oh, I agree entirely. Um, I think that uh, it's, a, it's a great way of working. Because when I suggested doing this in the last podcast, you went, but, <laughs> but it actually works. It works very it well. It works well, yes. So let's, let's talk a, a little bit about um, preparation. So we've talked about the fact that, hey, look, this is a demo, blah, blah, blah. We can do, in some cases, the simpler stuff in a live environment. Um, and we're looking, basically, to get some agreement for what they actually need and everything else. So that's what we've kind of covered now. But let's assume that um, you, you're not just going to do this on the fly. You know you're going to go into a meeting. You know you're going to do some live demonstrations. What are the things that you need to prepare for? I have three things in my mind. Actually, I only have two at the moment, but by the time I get to the third, I will have thought of a third one. So obviously, we have some idea of scope about what we're trying to do, and we may well have prepared a few demos. Well, let's go back to our search page from last okay. week. I knew we were going to talk about page that we have built. I didn't know I was going to change <laughs> <laughs> um, the page in real life. I didn't knew that. Well, just a second. I, uh, you decided to do that yourself. Yes, I decided that was to cool. do it. And that was good. Um, Improvisation and leadership. And I also decided to change the URL, directing URL of the default chat of SharePoint. And you don't be prepared for those kind of no, questions. So but I think it depends on the customer, which we'll come back to in a second. You are prepared because you know what are you going to talk about in that meeting. But you can't pre be prepared for every question or anything else that is being in there. No. Nope. So that's a, so that that's one of my first things. The first things is you know have what, be as prepared as you can technically about what you're doing. Make sure you can access the environment you need, and then you know be prepared. Then the second thing is to make sure you've got the right people in the room. Now the right people in the room will depend upon the size of the project. But for example, if you only have product owners in the room what you demonstrate may not be what you end up building because they don't own it. They're just saying, hey, yes, from a business perspective, that's what we need, which is all well and good. But if the IT director or the IT manager or the info manager, whatever, looks at it and says, yeah, but we can't support that, then 
you've got to go back to the business and say, guys, I know it looked great and, and I love those pink dots that you put on the page, uh, but uh, marketing said that we can't use those colors, you know? So you need the right amount of people in to be able to make sure that any improvements you make can stick. Yeah, and that's why you need different people in your meeting as well. Like we have talked about in the brainstorm session, you need to have different people in there that are involved with the project. That's the same thing in this one. Okay, so let's have some examples then. So we're, we're doing a demonstration of something. So who's the kind of people that should be in there to make us forward? You choose one, then I'll choose one, and we'll go see how long a list we can make. Uh, the business. The business or product owners? Or are they the same? No, the business. They are not the same. So the business, I mean the people that are asking for this kind of tool. Okay. So in a, in a normal situation, what you would get is people, the end users. I guess that's what you mean by business. So people that are actually using the application or maybe managers of people that are using the application say, hey, we need the it managers. to work out this way. The product owner would normally talk to those people and say, hey, this is what we're looking to do. Yep. So they're differences. So you, but you do basically need people that are going to use the application or product owners that understand how the application is going to be used. I get that. Sorry for correcting you. I just wanted to be accurate for our <laughs> listeners so they understand. All right, so that's fine. I, I also think you need to have um, the person responsible for supporting and managing the end result that you're going to build. So that could be the software or development team owner that effectively is going to manage and support it. Yes. One of the developers that is having the technical skills to know if the requests they are asking that are suitable, possible, technical, uh, possible. Okay, cool. So developers. Um, architects. Yes. Content architect and technical architect. Yes. Cool. Running out of ideas now? Uh, no. Someone involved with the governance. Oh, nice one. Yes. So the basically compliance officer or something like that. Yes. We're talking about CISO here. <laughs> It really depends, doesn't it? If it's an internal-only application, that's fine. Uh, but yes, somebody that owns policies around yep. your content and data would also need to be in there. Um, I can't think off the top of my head of anybody else that I would definitely want in there. Maybe the people that are paying for it. A decision-maker. Someone that can make the decisions for the entire company if there is discussion. If it's that bigger thing. Yep. But somebody that has the responsibility for for the application to make sure that it's going to be built in the right kind of way. Yep. And paid for. I think then we have all the people in there that we need to have. Yeah, I think that that's a, a reasonable selection. Because the more people you have, the more ideas you're going to generate. The more discussion there will be and the longer it will all take before you can deliver a very good solution. That is true. Um, so you're right about that decision maker. There needs to be somebody in there that can say, guys, okay, I hear everything, but we're going to go with the blue dots and I will deal with marketing because it's my responsibility, Yeah. for example. 
So that's cool. So it was interesting on the search page because we actually had those roles all in one. <laughs> it's a very small organization. And uh, we had the CEO, uh, CIO rather, uh, in on that meeting. Excuse me. And uh, so, yes, he was able to make the decisions and pushes in a particular direction and, you know, be impressed when it was uh, was done. So, so that was cool. Um, we have missed one important role. Actually, we've missed two important roles. Which ones? Uh, PM. We have a project manager to deal with. Why do you want him in this kind of meeting? Uh, because he needs to be able to scope the work ultimately from your demonstration that needs to be rolled out. Is a project manager going to scope it or, or is the architect and the developer going to scope it? Yeah, so... You're going to put the um, architect in the blue corner and you're going to put the developer in the red corner and you're going to say, fight it out, boys. Or are you going to put the PM in the middle as referee? Don't know. I mean, it's it a question. But for the reason I asked the question is that PM will know the scope of what he's actually trying to achieve yeah, overall. It really depends on the type of solution you are going to deliver and how big it is because um, sometimes a PM it, if we are going back to a search page then the PM would be overkill if there would be some discussion but if we are going to create an entire environment where we need to have multiple apps and power automate flows and SharePoint sites connected then a PM is very good because he knows what lives if he have some technical skills, if there is discussion between the architect and the developer. So it depends. Yes. It always depends. But I get that. Um, but I think so PM was one person. But then again, you know, a lot of those people we talked about, it depends. But you just mm -hmm. don't like PMs. I don't have anything with PMs or <laughs> anything against them. <laughs> they are doing some great jobs. Okay. So that's the first one that I said was missing. And the next one? You must know. No, tell me. Change manager. You need to have some essence of... So So here's the scenario. You have all these great people in the room, including product owners, and the product owners go, yes, I like that. We want that. Get it out there. It's done. I can see it live. You finished it. And you go, might have. All right, but you can't just make it live without knowing what the bigger picture is. You might be... You don't know, for example, if I change this... That changes that data format. And then I have no idea what the roll-on or knock-on effect is going to be. So it has to go through some kind of change and testing process. So a change manager is crucial to making sure. I know you're going to tell people it's just a demo, guys. But a change manager is going to need to be there to be successful. Do you want to have the change manager in this meeting? Or do you want to have the change manager in the meeting when uh, the product owner and business decided, all right, this is how we want to go and now we need to get get it rolled out and we need to get acceptance from all of the roles in the company. So are you saying that you have to play politics and have the right combination of people in the meeting to be successful? Do you know the development life cycle? You just want to show off again and tell me something else I don't know. So yes, I do know test, uh, sorry, development, test and production. No. Damn. 
No, I don't know the development <laughs> life cycle. <laughs> a development life cycle that you have a few steps in it. The first one is a requirement gathering. So you get all of the requirements from the end user and you're making your user stories and all of that. And then you are going to start uh, creating a design. If you have the design, it's an architectural design, database design, and all of those things. And then you are going to start development. And in your development, you have the multiple service. You are using development, test, acceptance, and production. But then you have the test environment where you have some testers involved. And between testing and production, you have the acceptance. And in the acceptance steps, everyone that is involved in the project, change management, adoption, everyone is in there to see, can we make this really possible in our organization? Okay. So where would the live meeting be in that process? When the first testing is done and where the first uh, uh, the business or the product owners say, yes, this is where you want to go. Because otherwise, your change manager can say, no, this is not possible. But does he see the entire package where the business wants to go? Okay, so what we're saying, because it's a big thing, we're talking about a big project with this beautiful uh, orated uh, development life cycle, which is great, which, of course, I, I did know most of it, but... Um, I don't deal with it on a daily basis. So I understand all of the kind of stuff. But you say that live demos are after the acceptance. Mm. But in the acceptance. In the acceptance. But that means you've already gone through testing and you've already gone through development. So if they have any ideas, you've then got to start the life cycle again. But the life cycle never stops when you have your own product and your own design. It's a very old-fashioned way of developing code. Yeah, but still stands. It still works. Uh, and you still do it in um, in modern way of working. Really? Yep. Uh, you don't do iterative changes. You don't say, hey, we can make that bit change because you know where it fits into the bigger picture and you can do it quickly and easily. Are you telling me you have to go through those seven to eight steps every single time? No, not every single time. But doing something quick and easy can break a lot. <laughs> obviously. But that's one of the reasons why I talked about the PM as a role. So he will obviously know how that fits into play, I guess. I say obviously, one assumes. <laughs> uh, and the change manager. So, yeah, you're right. There, there is going to be processes within an organization that you're not going to break. Uh, but that's where your governance and compliance person comes in to make sure yep. that it can be done. Um, so, yes, all right, I do get that. But I, I honestly think the change aspects are a key part of this process. They will make a decision whether you can do something or not. Um, uh, and then basically the work that it would take to be able to take those things in, to take them from an idea at a live demonstration into the reality. So we said at the beginning, hey guys, look, this is a demo. Uh, it may or it may not for look lots of reasons. Yep. One of those reasons may well be that the, the change is too big to do yep. it in one go, or it might take two months to get to to where we're at. Um, so it's a little bit like a hackathon, yeah? I mean, you have a hackathon set up where you can quickly develop stuff and ideas, but it still takes several months to actually get from there to integrate them because of that life cycle, I guess. Yes, because of the life cycle and all of the things that um, can go wrong. You need to be careful with all of those things. 
you don't want to screw very good projects up because they are doing something wrong. No, and that's interesting. And, and that's where you have your, cons your consultant hat on in some respects. Um, but if, if you're just doing a demonstration of, uh, of, of something that can be rolled out, you expect it to fit into a process or for the organization yep. to have a way of, of kind of working. Uh, and so you want to kind of make that into um, a, a feasible solution that they can move forward with. Um, so let's assume, making an assumption, um, but let's, let's think about some techniques for testing whether this idea is a good idea or a bad idea. First of all, we have product owners in, potentially yes. in business, so they can say whether it's something that would or would not add value. But there's a technique that I often use when it comes to those, how to make those decisions and whether it's the right decision, which is, uh, I think it was Simon Sinek. Did you look at his name earlier? Yes. Yeah. So it was Simon Sinek, the five whys. I have a very good friend, Tony. I know you're never going to listen to this, but that's okay, uh, in, uh, in the Netherlands. And he's a change manager at different levels. Um, big organizational restructuring changes. Uh, and he likes it bad. And Moraine, of course, is a big Simon Sinek fan. Um, but the five whys. So the five whys is a technique for confirming something works. So, you know, you might say, why do you want to change that code that way? Because users have been waiting for that feature for a while. Why have users been waiting for that feature? Because this is missing from the current process we deal with. So why was it missing um, and why is it causing a problem? Well, it's because it's slowing down the process for something else. And apparently it takes five whys to get to the end of fully understanding why you are doing something and whether it was the right thing to do. So it's a very cool technique. I never used it before, so I'm not able to <laughs> say it's good nope. or not. Well, you have but to I will try, try it. it. Yes, give I it a go. I will try. Uh, interestingly, I can never quite work out what happens when you only get to three whys and you can't answer the fourth why? Shouldn't there always be an answer at the question of why? Something yes. is that or something is missing or haven't, why haven't you done something yet before? You would think so, wouldn't you? Yeah. But I've been through this exercise a few times and you suddenly work out that you can't answer the, the why. And so that's the whole point, of course. If you can't get to five whys then I guess what you say is, all right, am I doing this for the right reasons, point one, and have I looked at it in the right level of depth and, and process? Yep. I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, so five whys. Uh, it, it allows you also to check whether people are happy and whether you've kind of fully encompassed it. Because the other problem with what we're talking about is that you could end up with a large number of people and their opinions, and so yes. be asking people why as a group, so it's a, it's, a why, it's a group exercise. So you ask first why, get an opinion and, and work out what the common opinion is, then develop the next why question based on that opinion. Then it's a very, very quick, I say very quick, some of these conversations can take 10 minutes, but it's a relatively quick way of focusing people's yep. um, but if you thinking are, process. If you are with a group of people, you always ask them, to the group and not to the person's Correct. individual. So as and a group, the group why are agree? we building this application? So the user might say, hey, because you know it's a, a weakness and we struggle with this all the time. Finance may turn around and say, 
but we're building this so that we can actually get the value for that figure on that product order and then we can go and make other decisions and they may not have known that that was the main business driver or why we're doing it uh, and then you've got to work out what the common answer is and then you'll ask your next question for why so there is always a common answer in it and they will always have some agreement at some point remember that Everything we've been talking about is about getting a multiple agreement and a decision, whether it's on a requirement, whether it's on a reason, whether it's a solution for something. You want the solution that everybody has agreed and died into. So that's standard. Yeah, and if you are asking those whys at the group, everyone has this opinion and tells it maybe at a different way, but most of the time they are trying to tell the same thing. Well, what what uh, what I have to used it before um, is when I have uh, a split opinion. So we talked on the first podcast about what happens when one half of the group want one thing and one half of the group want the yes. other. <coughs> and I seem to have a grumbly throat today, so please forgive my coughing. Um, but what I've done is I've separated them into uh, actors and audience. So the actors talk and the audience listens. So... Five whys is one of the ways of saying to the actors, okay, actors, why are we building that and making it pink? And then they would come up with an answer and the audiences are listening. So they're seeing their reasons for doing it. And then, uh, and if we, you know, why is marketing insistent that it's that color? You know, so you ask your next why question and your next why question. If you get to five whys, then that's supporting their argument. Swap them over. Then get the five whys from the other side of the argument, you know. With the same questions. Same same questions, you'll get a different answer. So your your second and third why might be different because it's based on what they say. But now all of a sudden you've got those two groups' different opinions out in the open for them to listen to. And now you can ask the same first question again and get them all to try and see whether you're coming together with the same answer because they've literally listened to the reasons that the other, the other people what you're trying to do is a little bit like our live demos and we said that we do live demos because when I'm showing something I want them to understand what it is and so they can see it whereas if you say I want to do this and I walk away as a developer actually it would be the other way around I would <laughs> say to you I wanted this you would go and develop something but then I see it and I go huh? Yeah. then you're trying to remove that by communicating I'm going to try this on next week, Monday. I have a very nice meeting coming up. And I know there will be some arguing, so I'm going to try this one. Okay, now let's get, <laughs> uh, look it up first. Have a read at some of the best ways of, yeah. of asking those questions because um, I'm sure when I first read this for a while ago, things have changed. All right, so we are oh nearly 47 or 48 minutes into this, which is great. Um, let's pick on the last subject. Um, about part of the decision-making process. So we talked about change. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I made a statement on that, double down on the change aspects. The change we know can cost you more than the development, all right? So really understanding before you go away and say, yes, guys, we will go and build it. Make sure that people understand where the change is and uh, if the audience will actually understand it. Mm -hmm. But then you've also got to think about training. Yes. So if you are going to develop something or going to do some major, major changes in the way they are working at the moment, people need to be trained or need to be aware of it. So adoption comes into place as well. And you need to give them something 
to start with to know where they can test some things before it is really live in production at the aero environment that they can see oh this can help me when i do this it's better for productivity or i'm better with or i faster my information i need to have or anything else that's true and it's all part of the the training process so if you look at an application and say hey it's going to do x y and z uh, which are the bits that are new so hey they've never done that before which yep. are the bits that need context they're doing that because of this so the training can be quite easily laid out and say okay so we will need to train 70 percent of the people on this aspect and how it's done and we need to generate the paperwork again it's a cost that will decide whether yes. you actually want to go down that line as opposed to assuming that we will just do some training afterwards. Yes, and training is one part of it and you will have people that are really want to start working with it and people that are really don't want it. So you maybe have to need some early adoption. The early adopters that they are start to work with it and inform other people, hey, this is very nice. We need to have it in our entire organization. Yeah, you can do A and B testing. So I, I do understand that, and I think that um, part of that training and the adoption is a key aspect, and something went through my head. To repeat what you said earlier, I really loved the idea about testers. So you have your training plan, you know what's happening, but you can turn that into a training, a testing plan very, yeah. very easily. So you're actually doubling down on that work as well. Yes, most of the time uh, when I go back in the big development project that I've done, you have test plans. Yep. You have multiple test plans. You have the unit testing, stress testing, and all of that. But you also have end users that are going to test in things and going to work with it and um, saying, all right, this is working, this isn't working. You need to change this or this. And by doing that, you are already going to train them a little bit. True. Very, very true. We also need to think about then, we started this podcast on about doing live demonstrations and talking about how useful that is as a tool. But equally at this testing stage, doing a live demonstration of what it's supposed to look like so everybody can see what the testing is and also whether or not it's actually where you're at. At each time you can say, yes, we're going to move on to the change part or yes, we're going to move on to the training part because then you can make sure that you're meeting the goal or objective or the requirements that you started off you know, relatively yeah. earlier time in the process. <clears throat> cool. Well, I think we've got through to the end from the end of our bullets and things, which is neat. Yes. <laughs> they went quite quickly, didn't it? I always find that when a podcast goes quickly, it usually means it's uh, an interesting, awesome. Then. It's definitely <laughs> interesting, yeah. So, um, so would you do more live demonstrations then? Um, I do them quite often a lot, so okay. I really like the idea of uh, live demoing, and also it's helped me to be creative to find a way of a solution for people. So when I am in a meeting and I don't know, oh, can this work, can this work or not, or uh, maybe we need to do it different, I start doing it live, and then they see it, and then I see it, and then I can be creative in how things we need to change things or work things out no i think that's very true i think the uh the creativity that you're demonstrating also encourages their creativity on how they can use it so you're doing a lot of visualization uh, and visualization might be another subject that we talk about next where you basically say guys imagine that this is how you do it today 
and this is how you do it tomorrow, and then expanding that out. And so live demonstrations so that you can get the vision in people's mind what they want is important. Yes. Cool. All right. Good, good, good. Anything you want to add? Uh, I don't think so. You're I just think we ready have for dinner, aren't you now? <laughs> um, no, I just think we have said everything we want. But we are going to give a session about this as mm. well. We are. Um, have we written that session yet? No, not yet. <laughs> we started on it. We know what we are going to say, so that's already a big thing. That is true. So the people of Bremen, beware, we're there. Uh, the date is tenth uh, of February or something. Yeah, somewhere around that. Oh, you have failed miserably. I've got no idea what the date was. Uh, the third is the Saturday, so it's the Saturday after. So it's the tenth. The tenth, yes. There's seven days in the week, isn't there? So third is Saturday for seven. There's a tenth of February, uh, Bremen. Yes, we're going to talk about uh, exactly this um, and around how we can bring the business need. Uh, all the way through to the technical side of things. Yes, and there are we are going to show some live demos in there so people can see how we do those thing, kind of things. I love the way you say we. <laughs> you are going to talk and I'm going to do the demo. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Well, look, um, that's, uh, that's it. Uh, we're approaching an hour and I think we've come to the end of our subject. So uh, wherever you listen to this, I hope it's not snowing in this winter time. Um, and that life is treating you good and that you're getting ready for a awesome 2024 as you start to uh, spend the first few weeks back at work. So Steve Dolby saying hi and bye. Uh, Sci Steve anywhere, SEI Steve, Google or whatever, you can get hold of me if need be. Thank you so much for listening because it's still exciting for me. It's very new, but thank you for listening. Enjoy the rest of your days, weeks, months, and thank you again. Anouk saying goodbye. Welcome to Fusion Talk with Anouk and Steve.